Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand and a podcast giving you the ins and outs of the resale planet and world. I'm your host, Meredith Feynman, and I'm joined by my bestie in the Westie, Sarah Lane, producer extraordinaire. Hi, Sarah. uh, Mara, I hear you're a little under the weather. I'm okay if I'm fully, yeah, so I have that like scratch, the scratch where you're like, oh no, this is going to be bad. And it didn't go away, and I can't stand being minorly inconvenienced. I'm fine if I'm, like, knocked flat on my feet or, like, (laughs) great. But, like, in between, I'm just a baby. And I am under a blanket of fancy sweatpants. I have an obsession with secondhand fancy sweatpants, which means, like, those really pricey comfies from, like, Free City to Cotton Citizen to, you know, all that stuff that, that I hunt around, so I'm in my fancy sweats. You know, I meant to tell you on uh, a, a recent episode, but I forgot, and now I remember because you mentioned fancy sweatpants. I bought some fancy sweatpants. They were not secondhand, so they were not yes. exactly cheap, but they're camo and they have holes in them, and they're like cool sweatpants that you would almost wear with heels. I was very proud Trendy. of myself. Yeah. Where were they from? I, I forget. I bought them on. I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. Um, it's some oh, yeah, brand that online. like yeah. It's some brand that other people are like, oh, that's a cool brand, and I'm like, oh. But uh, the only problem is that with sweatpants, they 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 st- kind of stretch out, and so these are like they're cool sweatpants that I feel like are only really something that I feel aren't schlubby when they're freshly washed and kind of shrunk up because then they kind of stretch out again. Yeah, the really fancy sweatpants, I just actually was in New York and bought some, I mean, opening ceremony sweatpants at a crossroads. The really higher end stuff and some of the stuff that retails for like over $100, which obviously I refuse to pay full price for, that stuff stretches less. But yeah, sweatpants are going to sweatpant. And (laughs) um, that's one thing that, I mean... I'll go on a diatribe about the difficulty of finding nice fancy sweatpants secondhand because of issues like that. Uh, but, you know, amp up your your comfies routine. If sure, you yeah. Comfort and style. I also think part of it is they're extra small, but I probably needed an extra, extra small so that they would be a little bit more form-fitting. But I liked the pattern, and so I got them anyway. 
Well, live your sweatpant truth. I just <laughs> unboxed. I just unboxed a 24 pack of packing tape, not because I'm moving, but because all I do is sell stuff on the internet, and I am the queen of the tape gun. Well, I salute you, Mayor, because <laughs> I'm one of those people who's like, can't be bothered. Packing and shipping sounds hard. Can't do it. Super but- easy, at least with like. I mean, I was doing it with some real, real and Poshmark. But yes, I have a lot of packing tape, so it looks like I'm I might be trying to like kill someone, but I'm actually just trying to make some money on some shoes. Oh god, I pulled a real out there consignment move this week. I don't know if I told you about it or not. Did I tell you about it? Well, tell us now. I mean, we're all here. So, this is not to listeners. This is not something that should become practice. However, I was in a resale shop Um, I won't say which one because I don't need to dox them right now. And also, I don't want them coming after me. But uh, I was selling a few things and a guy in front of me was selling two Supreme sweatshirts, which, you know, talk about fancy sweatpants are very trendy, hype beastie. We're going to have a whole episode on what is a hype beast in streetwear and how to think about buying it if you want to or getting into it. But these are sweatpants that or sweatshirts that resell for hundreds of dollars and retail for way lower than that. And they weren't buying one of them that I was very interested in. It's a Supreme. I've never owned a piece of Supreme like clothing. It was, it's a white sweatshirt with. It just says Supreme, right? It says Supreme down the front. It's, it has pockets, which like do all men's sweatshirts have pockets. Like it's, it's a crew neck, but it, it doesn't have that like hoodie large pocket. It has like pocket pockets, which like is amazing. Anyway, they weren't buying it because it had a teeny non-existent stain and I bought it off of him in the middle of the store. Now, this se- <laughs> this seems like a very you move. Is that the sort of thing that the store would find distasteful? Because they weren't going to buy it anyway. So, yeah. what, you know, what do you? What? How does that work? Yeah, I pulled this move before. So basically, they weren't buying it from him, and I like you know quietly walked up to him and was like, "Hey, are you open to selling that to me directly?" And that could have gone one of two ways, like. It, it looked like someone, particularly if they're selling Supreme, they're well-versed in, like, the buying and selling of clothing so they wouldn't be too weirded out. And we did, like, this deal in the middle of the store, and he was, like, 60, and I was, like, nah, and he was, like, 50, and I was, like, nah, how about 40? And he was, like, okay. <laughs> and I, like, Venmoed him on the spot, which, like, that sweatshirt sells for probably $300 on the internet. I like it. I can always resell it. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not in the best of taste. You shouldn't be doing this on the reg. They weren't taking it. So they had already turned it down. But, you know, you can't go after a store right. sellers or you something. You don't want to be, like, creeping in the consignment shop, like, trying to, like, be the middleman. Or take away their business. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, it was a very movie move and I got what I wanted. And he, like, once people decide to sell something, they just, like, want it gone. So that's usually the case. So I also played into that. So that was, like, a, a, a level 10 to 12 consignment move. That was... It was a little ridiculous, but now I have this awesome fancy sweatshirt, so I'm excited about it. Big news in the fashion world. Since we recorded our Chanel episode, you are now here at It Never Gets Old for the second part of the world of Chanel and Hermes. Carl Lagerfeld passed away at the age of 85. Uh, He has been the creative director of Chanel since 1983, and it has sort of rocked a lot of the fashion set 
And since we started delving into the history of Chanel, some of which I really didn't know, and it's some of the questionable uh, behavior of, of Coco, Chanel, and her involvement with the Nazis in World War II. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about the brand and what it means and what it means to me, and then also, obviously, what Karl Lagerfeld means to the fashion community and the you know larger just consumer world. Now, when you say that this has sort of rocked the fashion world, it's because he's such a huge figure in the fashion world. I mean, it wasn't like how Johnny Versace died, right? He was he was in his 80s. He was an older man. These things happen. Yeah, I mean, he was an icon. You know, he was such an icon that you, people, you would recognize him, even if you didn't know his name, by like his profile or photo, which... You know, he would always wear a black blazer, a white button down, his long white hair in a ponytail and sunglasses. And he was really, he really revived Chanel. He made it what it is and has been over the past, you know, three plus decades. He also had the longest tenure of, you know, someone at the head of a fashion house like that. He sort of was Chanel. But we can't talk about Karl Lagerfeld and his impact. And he did design some incredible, beautiful things and brought back a lot of interesting parts of Chanel, particularly in bags and ready to wear, but he was kind of an asshole. Yeah, I I, I know who he is. Yes, in my mind, you say Karl Lagerfeld, it's like I know exactly what who we're talking about because he's been around for so long. I also know that, yes, he was a controversial figure. He didn't necessarily have nice things to say about women with eating disorders. And there was an NPR episode about his death that I was listening to yesterday where they touched on some of this too. Like, you know, he was... Not necessarily, you know, a, a sweet person. He just was good at what he did. Yeah, it's interesting to like see a lot of the fashion world mourning him and not acknowledging a lot of his fat phobic comments, a lot of his very twisted perceptions of body image. You know, as as you're saying, Sarah, like when he was asked about issues with eating disorders in fashion, he basically said, don't focus on that. We should focus on overweight women and, and what a problem they are. Just incredibly fat phobic things. And it makes me think a lot about who high fashion is for, what we tell people about high fashion, you know, what high fashion has to say about body type, what it has to say about gender. And I think that you know, he was a mercurial dick. And so to not acknowledge that too, I actually think that he, I would hope, is a representative of an older view of fashion, that nobody larger than a size 12 should exist or that you should look a certain way and be a certain way. I think that we've really evolved past this very narrow view of, of who fashion is for. Sure. And I think that this is, the, he's sort of a figurehead of an issue that anybody who sees enough uh, uh, glossy magazines uh, knows that there's a whole thing going on with, with what a runway model is. And, you know, when I was a little kid, I mean, I'm a tiny person, so it's like, I loved that stuff, but I knew f for sure that that would never be my life. And I don't think I went down too much of a rabbit hole about it, but I know a lot of women do and men too. And that is, and continues to be something that it's kind of the way things have been done for a long time. But I do see the landscape changing with plus size models and the fact that plus size models now are seen in some circles as, you know, they got the better body. Yeah. And listen, like I, I'm going to, there are a couple people that will be on it never gets old talking about these issues 
Um, and I think it's really important to discuss because there's just an unbelievable amount of money to be made from making clothes for everybody, no matter, you know, what that very narrow perception of size might be. So while we mourn Karl Lagerfeld and a lot of the visions he had, it's really important. I think it, I think it's going to be kind of a changing of the guard and I'm very curious to see how Chanel looks from here. Let's move on to the most expensive brand in the world, arguably, uh, Hermes. Sarah, do you have any memories of Hermes? Like, what does Hermes mean to you? Oh, Hermes means to me um, a beautiful, fancy scarf and a Birkin bag. And that's mm-hmm. all I know about Hermes. I, I have a friend who got an Hermes scarf as a gift from her husband one year. It was a birthday gift or something. And she was so excited. I mean, this was like, this was a very cool gift. So I know enough about them to know that it was something that he probably spent some money on. Yeah, Hermes is extremely expensive. Uh, and I delving into this history, a lot of things I didn't know. So let's talk a little bit about that and then get into some very, very primitive buying and selling of Hermes, which is an entire podcast. Hermes is an entire world and it's older than Chanel. It's also a French fashion house, but and, and not and not horses. and not pronounced Hermes. Well, yes. So I I do that to troll people. I'm like, Hermes. Well, so I knew so little about Hermes just because it's incredibly expensive. It tends to be more of a traditional style that I uh, don't desire as much. And I also know that it's an incredibly complex world. The sheer number of fakes and buying and selling and the process of Hermes and what it means as a status symbol is just something that's not only not attainable for me, but also not something I particularly wanted to attain, though incrementally every year my tastes get more expensive so I keep seeing vintage Kelly bags in Paris and I'm like oh no oh no Meredith no (laughs) because we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars so let's talk about how this even began but yes I I did not realize that Hermes is from Terry Hermes it's someone's last name I actually thought it was derivative of Hermes the Greek god of trade uh, and commerce, because that made so much sense to me. And travelers, like that made sense. And so Hermes is the Greek god of, of merchants would... and commerce and, and sports and travelers. And it's so, I mean, I guess now that I think about it, maybe that last name, that French last name is intertwined. But that, I literally thought that's what it was. All right. So it's a French brand. It goes way back before Chanel even. So how did it all start? Yeah, so 18, we're talking 1800s, and Hermes, you know, if you know anything about Hermes, their main uh, symbols and imagery is horse-related. The horse horse girl energy just jumped out. Um, but uh, it started as stuff for equestrians um, and saddles. So actually, they began making saddles and accessories for riding, which is also an industry and sport. Of course, synonymous with a lot of money. Horses right. are very expensive. Mm-hmm. But they did make a bag in 1900 
that was designed, it wasn't a handbag. It was designed to like put your saddle in, which like, I mean, I don't think any, maybe people are doing that now. Like really, really fancy people still have this. Saddle bag. Put their sat, <laughs> li- like literal, literal <laughs> saddle bag. But like they did start making handbags. So Terry Hermes started making all this horse stuff. Then his son in the 20s started to make apparel for riding. And then it sort of went way more in a fashion direction as people wanted to wear this stuff, not only on horses. And the Kelly bag was created in 1935. Now, it wasn't called that. The Kelly bag is named after actress and Princess Grace Kelly. But they were doing these in the 30s because these people that were riding and I guess had a lot of money were like, it's a really nice bag to put my saddle in. Like, can I have a really nice thing to put my like iPhone in? Just kidding. Like my telegram, they have telegrams. I don't know to put my like (laughs) things that people had in 1935. I don't know. My face powder, (laughs) Uh, uh, like my hat, maybe a hat. But like they had hat box, like I don't know, yeah, whatever. Right. The point is they were doing this for a long time and clothing accessories were were in the twenties. Oh yes. So so it's true. So Terry's son his wife complained that she couldn't find a handbag she liked, which was extremely convenient for her because, like, if you're in a situation where your husband makes things out of leather, it's like, make me a purse. Like, I can't think of a, a better perk for a husband, actually. I mean, plastic like- surgeon is up there, but yes, <laughs> the, the handbag, the handbag hubby is uh, is 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 it, it would come in handy. So what's interesting is, so they had this, the Kelly bag was the first one they made. All of the images you will find uh, along with blog posts for each episode. So what we're talking about is very visual, but the Kelly bag uh, and the Birkin bag are the two iconic Hermes bags and they look different. The Kelly sort of is more of a box, I would say, than the Birkin bag, opens up into sort of a larger tote. And the Birkin bag was named after actress Jane Birkin, who's like a total longtime style icon. So Terry's son then primed his three sons-in-law to take over the business. And their last name is Dumas. And actually, the Dumas family is still in charge of Hermes today, which is crazy. Then I guess they designed the Birkin, which is quote unquote practical for everyday use. I don't know. I have a friend that just bought a Birkin. I mean, so let's, let's actually talk about like practical for everyday use. A Birkin bag new from the store. I'll talk a little bit about the process of what it looks like to actually get one is $8,900. That's what they start at. Uh, Okay. And that's if you're allowed to buy it retail, which I'll talk about it in a second. But you know, these get into the tens of thousands of dollars. And I, when I was in Paris, I remember a couple times ago, like, I don't know a lot about Hermes. It's not, not my jam. It's also like, luckily not because, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. And, and I might've mentioned this in a previous episode, but one of consignment store owners who I loved, uh, and she's still there with a little store, uh, in the sixth, Erin Small, she had this blue Hermes bag and I was like, oh, that's so pretty. Like just out of curiosity, like how much is it? She's like, well, it's a special one. So it's like 30,000 euro. And what ma- what makes it special? The color? Well, so I guess it was like a unique, so people go crazy for collecting Hermes. And I mean, this is a whole different planet. Like we're, like people of a certain set and money set and status symbol set, which I want to talk about a little bit, go crazy for a certain. I mean, people collect Birkins. They hold value. In China, when the economy 
is unstable or fluctuates, like people buy them instead of gold. Like it's, it's really, they hold tremendous value. One of the reasons why I wanted to get into Chanel and Hermes and Hermes is really like sort of in its own league. And I'm going to be talking to someone about that. Like it retains, it, it appreciates value every year. Like they're actually, I can't believe I'm going to say this, a, a tremendously good, at least right now, investment. Now I am not a woman to be advising you on your money and what you, what you, but it, but people buy them as a way to keep their money. Right. It's like flipping a house. Like yeah, you it's, can you can get one and then sell it for more because now okay. So this is a style. It's a bag that's been around for a long time. Jane Birkin, yes, yeah, big in the nineteen sixties, early seventies. I think it was kind of her heyday. Beautiful woman, the whole thing. Got it. How many limited edition Birkin bags are we getting? Like, why is the value so high? Do they do they only make a hundred per year? So. So Jane Birkin co-designed this bag uh, with Hermes, and then she got tendonitis because <laughs> the bag from the bags, which which is like basically golf elbow, which has happened to me. So like I've had golf and tennis elbow. So golf elbow, like, oh God, white, white lady injuries. So golf elbow is when the inside of your elbow hurts. And tennis elbow is from when the outside of your elbow hurts. Okay. And I went to an orthopedist a couple of years ago about my golf elbow, which is like the inside. I'm the only person under the age of like 75 to get golf elbow. And he said he's seen a tremendous uptick because of the way that women carry purses. So is this something where it's like you're putting just too many heavy things and it it throws off your balance because one shoulder is getting weighed down? I mean, or is there more to it? Well, so if you're carrying, it's bad. It's really bad to carry your purse, like PSA, health PSA from It Never Gets Old. It's really bad to carry your handbag in the crook of your elbow because you're putting the work, mm-hmm. you're straining those muscles. So like, please don't do that. If you have a Birkin bag, don't wear it in the crook of your arm. I know it's like a cute look and like all that stuff, but you you might get tendonitis as, as Jane Birkin did. And then what's crazy I was reading about too is like she actually wanted her name removed from the bag. She became very active with PETA, animal rights organization, anti-fur, uh, anti-leather, ethical treatment of animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had to, they were they, they wouldn't, like she went, I, I think with legally uh, trying to remove her name. Um, because one reason why Birkin bags were so coveted is that they were made from crocodile. So those are the most expensive. Like croc Hermes bags can go for like $50,000, $100,000, $150,000. Wow. Like it's insane. So apparently they've stopped doing that. But that's – I mean it's incredibly expensive. Um, I remember once – maybe it was my like – my mom had a handbag that was from like a great grandmother, great great grandmother, and it it wasn't like Hermes or anything, but it was crocodile, and it had like a little crocodile on it, like his head. It was very upsetting. Oh, what? I mean, was I it know. shaped? Was know. it shaped like a crocodile? I can't. No, like this. like I guess they left his head on. I don't know. I, I'm I was very young. I don't <laughs> totally remember this, but it's haunting me to this day. So yeah, but but to wrap up the history of Hermes. 
Um, they actually had a pretty solid decline in the 1970s. Um, and when they expanded to fragrances and homeware, so like lots of dishes in China, that's what really saved the company. And what really, really bumped up the company is they became big in China. Hmm. Um, I mean, they opened a store in Beijing in 1996, which is a really long time ago. And they saw the power of the Chinese market to purchase their goods. And that continues today. I mean, so... Let's talk about what Hermes looks like now. So one of the reasons why they're so expensive, in addition to being rare, limited edition, difficult to get one, which I'll talk about a friend's, like, a friend's means to get one. Like, you and I, you can't just walk into a store and buy one. It doesn't work like that. You know, um, and I know this because there was a time uh, that I was with an ex-boyfriend. We were in Las Vegas. Whoa. I don't know. Context of that doesn't even matter. But there was an Hermes store and I had said something like oh, a Birkin bag. And he was like, what? what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, they're like the like the most expensive bag. So we walked into the store and I was like, do you have any Birkin bags? And the, the person <laughs> they laughed kinda, at you. They laughed at me and they were like, the wait list is like five years long. And also like, you're not good enough for our wait list. And so and he was like, oh, my gosh, you weren't kidding. And I'm like, I know it's this yeah. weird bag thing. Well, so part of the Hermes bags, one reason why they're so expensive is they're entirely handmade. And what they say is that each bag is made from beginning to end by only one person, Hmm. um, which is incredibly unique. I mean, I'm not here hovering over their, you know, artisans, but that's, but so we have this like incredibly time intensive, work intensive thing, and then they're rare and then you have to get on a waiting list. So... I remember going into the Hermes store in Paris a year or two ago and they basically like did a like full body cavity search. Like it was, they checked everything. Because they want to make sure people don't steal things? Yeah, they want to make sure people don't steal things. They maybe want to make sure I was unarmed so I wouldn't rob the store. I I mean, Uh if you think about the pure value of everything that's in there, I mean, it's, I mean, they probably have what, a million dollars worth of merchandise in there? Right, right. And and same thing on the way out, like got nude in the middle of the, just kidding, the, the Hermes <laughs> did not assault me. Um, <laughs> disclaimer. It's just like but a yeah. TSA experience. They, they're, TSA, they're, it was a TSA experience. Yeah, and, triple checking. But so you can't, so basically you have to get on a wait list for a Birkin. And I had a friend that was able, I don't know how she was able to bypass it. Like, but there are all these, like, so this is the the thing. A Birkin bag is a tremendous status symbol. It is probably the ultimate status symbol. I remember reading Primates of Park Avenue, which is sort of a sociological lens book about a woman and her family moving to the Upper East Side, which is very rich, very white, very thin, very label-centric area of New York City. And she talked about how all of a sudden she like had to have a Birkin bag and getting that process of getting it. And you know, Birkin bags don't stay in resale shops or consignment stores for very long. They sell for more than eighty nine hundred. Like you can't get one for that low. It's crazy. Like actually, the retail price and buying one in the store is the, probably the least you could pay for it, which is nuts. So they are just this very intense status symbol, and it hasn't it hasn't shifted. It just seems to me that it, it sort of it defies logic, right? Because if the older bags retain value, but newer bags are being made regularly, sure, maybe there's like superior craftsmanship where it's that, that one woman who made the whole bag from beginning to end. But 
with more inventory in the world, you would think that the price would naturally come down. So it's a bit of an anomaly. It is. It's a total anomaly. And that's why that's why we're spending this amount of time talking about it. But I'm just incredibly curious. So now we know a little bit more about Hermes, or Hermes is <laughs> Hermes, and why why it retains the value it does. I can't believe that. It's just so crazy to me. And it's funny, like for a second there, I told myself that like if I got a book deal or with this last book I collaborated on, like I would get myself a like Birkin bag. Like, girl, like budget. I mean, I'm horrified to even think about this, but I can't afford that shit. Yeah, it seems like even the best consigner, and I would put you up there. It's me. You're still, you're still gonna have to drop many thousands of dollars, and if, I, you, I don't, if you want to and can, okay. But most of us are just like, hmm, this is just a Cinderella story we hear about. Yeah, I don't know if I could. I mean, like you know, if I am in a position to buy something like that, I don't know. I have a friend that actually just got a Birkin bag from the Real Real. They hmm. don't stay on there for very long, but you know. So, so one issue with Hermes bags and Birkin bags, and I mean, they're faked. They're if you have something that is the ultimate status symbol, people are going to make copies of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, copies abound from two hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. I mean, I, I've seen very, very, very high end Hermes fakes that are still like two thousand dollars, which is nuts. And like, if you get into really, you know, people have whole businesses around buying and selling Hermes, understanding what's real and not. When I was in the store in Paris, they had this like tiny, I think it was a tiny Birkin. It was like the mini mini and it was crocodile and it was like 25,000 euro and it's so gorgeous. But this woman came in to look at it because I guess she had been turned away at the, the actual Hermes store. And like basically if you look at the inside flap, it'll tell you what year. Like there are a million different points that a bag like that has to pass and what's crazy is Hermes does not allow returns period really period even if you have a receipt they're like nah sorry um which is wild wow that's just the way it is if you buy something you can never return it I think if you buy a handbag I mean if you buy like a perfume I I think you can probably return it for credit or something or a bangle but like if you buy a hand a Chanel handbag I mean, sorry, an Hermes handbag. Yeah, you can't, you can't return it. Sorry, well, to be. I, I, I suppose that uh, at that, at that level of, of pricing, all sales are final, and that's, you know, you, you, <laughs> you've been on a waiting list for five years already. So, <laughs> but no, my friend that just bought one from the Real Real, like she was like, I feel like a new parent, and I was like, I don't want that. Like, I like putting my purses on the ground and like throwing them around. I sometimes I treat my stuff like I like buying pretty beat up consignment handbags because then I don't feel bad about beating it up. Right. You know, maybe you're in a place for an Hermes. Maybe you're in a place for a New Yorker tote bag. Both are great status symbols in very different ways. That's a little bit about Hermes. And I feel like I've, I've learned a lot. Well, I certainly have. I didn't know as much about the family and the fact that it actually went to the in-laws, which is a little bit unusual, right? Um, usually in-laws... Uh, are more famous for fighting with you than uh, taking over an extremely expensive and respected fashion business. Well, they might totally hate each other, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but you, you don't true. fuck with the money, so <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You can find it never gets old online at ingopodcast.com. 
We're also on Twitter and Instagram at that same handle, INGO Podcast. On our website, you can learn more about me, your host, Meredith Feynman, and my producer, Sarah Lane. You can also leave us a question, as it never gets old, is nothing without our listeners. You can also call us and leave a short and sweet voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.